Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This is the same kind of faith that Paul is talking about in Romans 10.17 that comes by hearing the word of God. This is the faith that comes by hearing the word of God. This faith is hearing that in the body of Jesus, God himself experienced death. This faith is understanding that Jesus experienced death to free human souls from eternal death and give them eternal life. This faith is believing and living each day in hope that the word of God is true. This is the substance of what is hoped for, of which there is no visible evidence. And this hope is the optimistic expectation that because of what God accomplished in the body of Jesus, the day will come when, for every believing soul, death will be an impossibility. Hebrews 11.8, Hebrews 11.8 says, by faith, this same faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Is that what it says? So Abraham answered the call of God, not knowing where he was going and sojourned in a land of promise. He sojourned. He briefly visited the land of promise. However, the land of promise was a strange country. It was foreign. Genesis 13, 14 says, The Lord said to Abram, Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou thou northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all that land which thou seest to thee will I give thee and to thy seed forever. So on a spiritual level, we must understand that while Abraham saw the land of promise, he sojourned there because although this was the land that he would eventually inherit, he would not inherit the land in its present condition. Because the land that Abraham saw was corrupted by sin and death. The land that God promised would be a place of peace, righteousness, and everlasting life. Therefore, by faith, Abraham briefly visited the place that would one day be the land of promise. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That's Romans 4, 4, that's Romans 4.13. So faith was the substance of the things Abraham hoped for and the evidence of things he could not see. And although the land he saw was corrupted by sin and death, by faith Abraham believed God and he believed that God would keep his promise. For he looked for a city that had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He could not visibly see the promised land. However, by faith he saw the holy city, the city whose builder and maker is God. Now, Abraham was a real human being. 
He is the father of faith. And his experience now set the stage for our salvation. His experience with God set the stage for our salvation. The scripture says he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance. Well, when one hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and how he died to save their souls, this is a calling out. Calling out of what? A calling out of the human destiny of sin and death into the place of righteousness and everlasting life. This is the inheritance that every soul that answers the call shall receive. We answered the call. We accepted the gospel. So like Abraham, we are dwelling in this land of promise as a strange country. And we are looking for that same holy city whose builder and maker is God. We are looking for that city. And we know and we believe according to his word and according to his promise that we shall dwell in the holy city because he promised. We're picking up from last week. You'll see what I mean in just a minute. Hebrews 11 gives us a list of the heroes of faith. And in verse 13 it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You realize that, Sister Glover? We are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. And the key word here is faith. They all left this world in faith believing that one day they would receive the promises. They saw them afar off. That is to say, through the spiritual eyes of faith, they saw the promises. And they were persuaded and they were convinced. And not only were they persuaded and not only were they convinced, they embraced them. They took hold of the promises of God and they lived every day in hope of his promise. And because they saw this world through the spiritual eyes of faith, they were confident that they were strangers and pilgrims on this corrupted earth. Likewise, we, the anointed followers of Christ, who walk by faith and not by sight, we clearly understand that we are strangers and pilgrims on this corrupted earth. In this present condition, this earth is not our home. We're sojourners on this planet, just briefly visiting. And with optimistic expectation, we are looking for that city, that city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. However, while we're here, we must live in faith, in the faith of Jesus Christ, believing that the promises of God shall be fulfilled. And we must believe that the Bible has revealed to us the first part of God's promise to Abraham. Hebrews 6.17. Hebrews 6.17. You know, folks get prom the promises of God, they get them all wrong, Elder. I hear it so often. God's going to give you that house. That's what he promised you. God's going to give you that car. God's going to give you that job that you're not qualified for or you are qualified for. God is not God is going to give you this and God's going to give you this. God's going to give you all the stuff that the devil took from you. Those are his promises. No, he didn't come to do any of that. God came to Jesus came to save your soul and that's it. 
He didn't come to give you some money. He didn't come to give you a job. He came to save your soul so that you could spend eternity in righteousness and peace with him. Because that's what he intended from the beginning. He said in Isaiah, I did not create the earth in vain. He said, I created the earth to be inhabited. And this earth shall be inhabited because that's what he expected. And this earth shall be inhabited by us. We are not going to spend eternity in heaven. God did not create heaven for us. He created heaven for himself and he created the earth for us. And Jesus is going to spend eternity with us on the earth. Well, how do we know? Because that's what he promised Abraham. He told Abraham that he would inherit the world. Hebrews 6.17 For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured... He obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. We're picking up from last week. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into there within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Thank you, Lord. So God promised Abraham that he would be the heir of the world and that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed and that this earth would be given to him and his seed as an everlasting possession. The earth would be given to him and his seed as an everlasting possession. And because there was no one greater than God to show the immutability of his uh, counsel, he swore by himself. To swear means to affirm that something is absolutely true. To, To swear is to affirm that something is absolutely true. In other words, God concretely affirmed and confirmed it by the truest means possible, with a promise and with an oath. The immutability of his counsel was and is his unchanging purpose revealed. What is his purpose? Titus 1-2. Titus 1-2. His purpose. Titus 1-2. Titus 1-2. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. Here it comes. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? He promised eternal life before the world began. Well, who did he promise it to? He didn't promise it to himself. He promised it to us. So when God made the first human, he purposed that he and his descendants would live eternally. 
And this purpose has not changed because God's purpose does not change. God's purpose cannot change. If his original purpose changed, then it would mean that God would lie to himself. And God cannot lie to himself. 2 Timothy 2.13. 2 Timothy 2.13. Paul says, If we believe not, yet he, Christ, abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy 2.13. He cannot deny himself. So whether we believe his word or not, God is faithful to himself. And he it did not say he will not deny himself. It said he cannot deny himself. To deny means to refute his purpose and God's purpose and promised himself that his people would have eternal life. God's purpose is immutable. It cannot change because he cannot deny himself and he cannot lie to himself. And God confirmed and inaugurated the immutability of his unchanging purpose. How, Nolan? With the promise of inheritance to Abraham before he gave the law to Moses. He confirmed his promise to Abraham before he even gave the law to Moses. Galatians 3.18. Galatians 3.18. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. In Genesis 22.17, Genesis 22.17, God promised him that, that in blessing, I will bless thee. And in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven. And as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Who could this seed be that would possess the gate of his enemies? And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. In the Greek promises, epangelia, epangelia. It is a divine assurance. In the Greek promises, epangelia, E-P-A-G-G-E-L-I-A, E-P-A-G-G-E-L-I-A, epangelia, a divine assurance, a divine assurance. A promise is a divine assurance. Well, in English, promise is a vow. To assure somebody that something will certainly happen Or be done. To pledge is to make somebody expect something or cause somebody to expect something. Thus, with divine assurance, God made a vow to Abraham that he would inherit the world. God pledged to provide him with an eternal inheritance that his seed shall possess the gate of his enemies and in his seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Mm. So this promise to Abraham, this promise to Abraham was the first thing, was the first immutable thing that would show the immutability of God's counsel. The promise was the first thing that would show the immutability of God's counsel. The second immutable thing would be an oath. The second immutable thing would be an oath by which God would confirm the immutability of his counsel. So the first, the promise would show the immutability of his counsel, and the, and the oath would confirm the immutability of his counsel. Try to say that fast. In the Greek, oath, oath is 
Horkos. Horkos. H-O-R-K-O-S. Horkos. It is the content of that which is promised. Horkos. An oath. The content of what is promised. So the oath, the content, and the confirmation of the promise. Here's the content of the promise. In blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sands of the sea which is upon the shore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's the content of the promise. That's the content of the promise. That is the oath. The Greek word for oath also derives from horon which means figuratively to stand which means figuratively stands for a space within certain boundaries in the greek the oath derives from the word horion h o r i o n horion which figuratively figuratively stands for a space within certain boundaries listen therefore the words the words that comprise the content of the promise form the literal confirmation of God's immutable con uh, counsel. The words that comprise the content, the word that I just read to you, the oath, comprise of the promise, as form the literal confirmation of God's immutable conscience, counsel. The words of the oath literally delineate the boundaries which God is obligated to perform. Is that making sense to you? The oath literally delineates the boundaries by which God is obligated to perform. Romans 4, 7 says, He, Abraham, staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he was able to perform. That was the boundaries. Those were the boundaries by which God obligated himself to perform what he promised. Do you know that God has obligated to us? He is obligated to us. He says, if you repent of your sins, if you are baptized in my name for the remission of your sins, if you receive the indwelling of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues, I guarantee you that you will have everlasting life. And he is not a man that he should lie, so he has obligated himself. And he ratified that obligation with his precious blood. His body was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his blood we are healed. With his blood he sealed the promise. With his blood he ratified the oath. Oh yes he did. Oh yes he did. And Abraham was persuaded that he is able to perform. And we are fully persuaded that God is able to perform what he promised us. He will bless us. He has blessed us. He blessed us when we went down in the water. He blessed us when we were born of the water and born of the spirit. That's how he blesses us. He don't bless you with money. He doesn't bless you with a job. He doesn't bless you with a car. He blesses you with the Holy Ghost. He blesses you with his mind. He blesses you with his spirit. He blesses you with holiness. He blesses you with peace. He blesses you with the peace that passes all understanding. He blesses you with joy. He blesses you with contentment. He blesses you with the things that money cannot buy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm. So by two immutable things, a promise and an oath, in which it was and is impossible for God to lie, God confirmed to Abraham and confirms to every born-again believer the immutability of his counsel. 
Yes, through two immutable things, God confirms the immutability of his counsel to us. How do we know that? Ephesians 1.11. Ephesians 1.11. How do we know Ephesians 1.11? Ephesians 1.11. Is this making sense to you? In whom? Also, we have obtained an inheritance. Is that what it says? Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So the immutability of God's counsel is according to his own will to fulfill his predestinated purpose. What purpose? Ephesians 3.11, Ephesians 3.11, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well, what was God's eternal purpose? God's eternal purpose is that every soul who by faith accepts his promise shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. And his eternal purpose is fulfilled by his promise and an oath to Abraham and to us. Hmm. His eternal purpose is fulfilled by his promise and his oath to Abraham and to us. So by faith, Abraham accepted God's promise of eternal life. And by faith, we also accept God's promise of eternal life. John 1, 1 John 2.25. 1 John 2.25. 1 John 2.25. This is the promise that he has promised us. This is the promise that he has promised us. What is the promise, John? Even eternal life. And so what we must clearly understand is that faith in this promise is the substance of the things we hope for and the evidence of things not seen. What hope? The hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Hmm. So what we hope for is the inheritance of eternal life, which God promised himself and us. Yes, yes, God promised himself eternal life because he said to Abraham and thy seed, which is Christ. Yes, God promised himself eternal life. How do we know? Because in the body of Jesus, God was the first human being to resurrect and receive the inheritance of everlasting life. Did you get that? In the body, I'm going to say it real slow. In the body of Jesus, God was the first human to resurrect and receive the inheritance of everlasting life. And he's going to dwell in that with everlasting life with those who believe him and have everlasting life also. Galatians 3.16. I'm going to prove that to you in just a minute. It says Galatians 3.16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said, not into seeds, plural, as of many, but as one, into thy seed, which is Christ. So he promised eternal life to himself. He promised that he would be the first human being uh, to die and resurrect and have everlasting life. And now Christ has, Jesus has everlasting life in a body of flesh. Get that? So the promise and the oath was that Christ the seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. That was according to prophecy. That Christ, the seed, shall possess the gate of the enemies. Jesus shall possess the gate of his enemies. In Hebrew, 
Gate is shahar. Gate in Hebrew is shahar. It is an opening. Gate, opening, shahar. So the enemies of Christ and his people are sin, death, and the devil now. The enemies of Christ are his, of his, are, uh, and his people are sin, death, and the devil. Well, on the cross, Christ possessed and took control of the opening by which his enemies held his people in bondage. He took control of the opening by which his people were held in bondage. Hebrews 2.14, Hebrews 2.14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Is that what it says? Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Why? To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Is that what it says? Well, I hope it is. Hebrews 2.14. It says that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. So why do people say God took my brother? Why do people say God took my sister? Why do people say God took my mother? It says that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. And who is it that has the power of the death? The devil. But if you sell somebody, the devil took your sister. The devil took your mother. We're not saying the devil took your sister your mother to hell. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that he has the power of death. And that's how he was able to take your sister. But they would rather blame it on God. They would rather blame it on God when right here it says that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Hmm. So in the body of flesh and blood, Christ tasted death for every human being. Not only this, when he resurrected, being the first human to inherit eternal life, Christ conquered the eternal consequences of sin. He defeated death and delivered his people from the power of death. He, closed the, he conquered the gate of his enemies, of our enemies. Death, hell, and the grave. 1 Corinthians 15.12. 1 Corinthians 15.12. 1 Corinthians 15.12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is also in vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. But if so be that the dead rise not, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are persuaded. If in this life only, we have hope in Christ. We are all men most miserable. 
But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. That's another thing. They think that when you, when you die you go to heaven. Bible doesn't say that. Bible doesn't say that at all. It says they that are in Christ. They that, that are in Christ. They that are in Christ. They are that, that are asleep in Christ, doesn't it? They that are asleep in Christ. And it says the dead, the, the dead in Christ shall rise. Right? The dead in Christ shall, shall rise. So why would the dead in Christ rise if they're already in heaven? So then come at the end. And he shall dwell and deliver up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put all down, all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all his enemies under his feet. Then the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain, Elder. And if, it, if our hope of eternal life doesn't go beyond this present condition that we're in, we are in bad shape. I'll say that again. If our hope of eternal life doesn't go any further than our present condition, then we are in bad shape, he says. However, Jesus has risen from the grave. He is the first fruits of them that slept. He is the first human being to resurrect to eternal life. And because he is the seed of Abraham that resurrected, every soul that by faith accepts and believes that Christ resurrected is an heir, and it says joint heir with Christ. He's an heir also. He inherits the promise also. Hmm. And if, and Galatians 3.29, Galatians 3.29, and if ye be Christ, then ye are, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, which God cannot lie, the promise that he swore with it by an oath, by two immutable things in which he cannot lie. So on the cross, Christ possessed the gate of his enemies. And you know the scripture says, Paul says, if they had known what Jesus was accomplishing on the cross, they would have never let him go there. If the devil had known what he, that Jesus was going to defeat him on the cross, the devil would have done everything he could to keep Jesus from going to the cross. But he, could, he couldn't, he, because he doesn't know. He didn't know what was going on. He couldn't know because he he, he's evil. And he can't know things that are righteous. Oh, but if he had known what Jesus was going to defeat him, defeat death and defeat him on that cross with his body and his blood, he would have never allowed that to happen. Hmm. And that's what he did. He possessed the gate of his enemies. He closed the opening to death. He closed the devil's opportunity to give us eternal death. And because we are all of his seed, sin has lost its sting. Because we are of the seed, death has lost its grip. And the devil has lost his power over our souls. What that song? Can't touch this? He can't touch this. He can't touch our souls. Our souls are holy. Our souls are righteous. Our souls are sealed until the day of redemption. Oh, yes, they are. Oh, yes, they are. And because Christ fulfilled has, because Christ has fulfilled and possessed the gate of our enemies and fulfilled the promise confirmed by an oath, we live in eternal hope of eternal life. 
We live each day in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Are you getting tired? Am I wearing you out? All right. Hebrews 16.18. Hebrews 16.18. Hebrews 16.18. Says that by two immutable things in, what, in, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered. Jesus was the forerunner and entered into the veil. Even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So by faith in the promises of God, confirmed by his oath, we have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. By our faith in Christ, we have escaped this evil and wicked world. And we have laid hold on the promise set before us. Each day we live in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world begins. And this hope that we have in Christ Jesus, this hope that we have in his promises, is an anchor for our soul. And it is both sure and steadfast. And this hope we have in the promises of God is a strong consolation. Our hope is in the vow of Christ. And this hope we have as an anchor to our souls. Our existence can be likened like a ship on the ocean. Talked about that last week. Our, our existence, Elder, can be likened to a ship on the ocean. One moment the sky is blue and the ocean is calm and serene and all seems well. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the skies go black and a violent storm comes up and the winds are blowing fiercely and our ship is tossed to and fro. And this is how our lives go. One moment, everything seems to be going just fine. We believe things are all under control. And then out of nowhere, we find ourselves in the midst of a raging storm. Problems are coming at us from all directions. And we even begin to consider our existence. And why do we have to go through the things that we go through. And if this were not enough, death and destruction are all around us. Sickness and disease are rampant. Our country is subjected to a de deception incarnate. Our country is being ruled by deception incarnate. There are wars and rumors of wars. Natural disasters dominate the planet. Human beings are fighting and killing each other over meaningless ideologies. And because there's no peace, there's no peace can be found because of sin. No peace can be found because this world is dying. Oh, but those of us who believe the gospel of Christ, we don't ponder that very long. Jesus says, when you see all this going on, he said, look up. Look up because your redemption draws now. I'm on my way. These are the signs of the end. These are the signs of my coming. Hmm. So we don't ponder that because we know we're strangers. We're pilgrims in this dying world. And by faith, we believe that the promises of God are true. By faith, we know that in the body of Jesus, God kept his faithful promise and fulfilled his eternal goal. We are not without hope. We are never without hope, even though we are in a hopeless world. And the hope we have is an anchor of our soul, a hope that is steadfast and sure. I talked about this last week. You see, for a ship... To hold its position, 
especially in a storm, it's got to be anchored. And an anchor is an extremely heavy piece of double-pronged iron connected to the ship by an enormously thick chain. And when it is dropped in the water, the anchor holds the ship in place. And because the hook is double-pronged, the anchor grips on a rock. It grips on a rock on the ocean floor, and it keeps the ship steadfast, and it keeps the ship in a, in a sure position. So even though the wind is blowing, and the storms are coming, and the ship is rocking to and fro, it won't lose its position, because it's anchored on a rock. Oh yeah, it's anchored on a rock. Well, in order for us to hold a steadfast and sure position, especially as we're, un we're unfolding and watching the tribulations of the, of the world unfold in these last days, we need an anchor. We need two, by, and by two immutable things, we have an anchor. We have the promise of God confirmed by his oath. And our anchor grips that solid rock. And that rock is Jesus. He's the one. He's the solid rock on which we stand. All other else is sinking sand. And our, grip, our anchor grips that solid rock. And our anchor grips that rock that is steadfast and sure. We can depend on God. We can depend on Jesus. We can love Christ because he is faithful. He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will be with you in trouble because you know my name. Those are his promises. Those are his guarantees. And because he is a man and not a man that he should lie, we can stand on those promises. We can latch on to those promises with our anchor. And he will hold us sure. He will hold us tight. He will hold us in the midst of a storm. Oh, and the winds will blow. Oh, they will blow. I tell you, Elder, those winds will blow. And the winds come. And the winds, they don't even come. The winds aren't coming down. They're coming sideways. They're coming sideways. And then they change directions. And then they, and then they run into each other. Oh, yeah, Elder. Oh, yeah. And, and, but we're still there. We bob and we weave. We bob and we weave and we bob and bow, but we've got an anchor. He's our anchor and he knows that he'll never, never leave us and he'll never forsake us. We can trust him. We can love him. We, and he loves us back. We can talk to him. We can go to him in the nighttime and we can talk to him and he will answer us. He says, my ears are attuned to the righteous and my eyes are on the righteous and my ears are attuned to their prayer. So we can go to him at any time. Doesn't matter, Elder, two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. We'll say, Lord, he'll say, yes. And he's there. He says, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I will never, ever leave you. I promise that I would never forsake you, and I stand on my promise. I am that solid rock on, you, on which you are anchored. Oh, yes, he is. That rock is Jesus. Jesus is the rock of our salvation. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And he's also the substance of our hope. Jesus is the captain of our vessel. Jesus has defeated and delivered us from the hands of our enemy. He has saved us. He has blessed us. And one day soon he shall redeem us. Hallelujah. 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 We were cursed and lost by the disobedience of the first Adam, but we are blessed and found by the last Adam, which is Christ Jesus. He found us. He found us. We were lost, and he found us. You know why? Because that's what he said he came to do. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was us. And by two Immutable things. 
in which it was impossible for God to lie. Like Abraham, we look for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Revelation 21.1. Revelation 21.1. Revelation 21.1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So by two immutable things, two immutable things, his promise and his oath, God has promised that we will have everlasting life in the new Jerusalem, in the holy city. Let's give the Lord some praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is an anchor for our souls. And we thank you that we know and confident are confident by, by, by the two immutable things in which it is impossible for you to lie. We have your promise and we have your oath. Thank you for your word, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Anyone in need of prayer this morning? Anyone in need of prayer? All right. Any questions or comments? Any questions or comments? Something you agreed with, something you didn't agree with, something you didn't understand, something you want better clarity, clarity with, or something that stood out to you, something that was significant? Anyone?